I wanted to thank you, Mark, for sharing tonight and being so vulnerable and real with us. I think that that is awesome. And how many of you guys liked what Ronnie had to say last week? Hey, guys. Everybody has to raise your hand if you want to hang out with Ronnie anymore. Ronnie talked about the law, and he talked about our relationship with God and how they work together. And when we think about the law, it's easy to go, I don't like the law. And when we think about relationship as Christians, it's easy to say, I like relationship. But at some point, God gave us the law for a reason. And Ronnie was hitting on that. It's to show us our need for a Savior. And at the same time, the law really reveals to us what God's character is. And in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says he's transforming each of us into his character. And so as we walk with him, as we grow as Christians, there has to be this transformation into God's character that happens in our lives. And when that's not happening, that produces what we call hypocrisy. How many of you guys like hypocrites? Do you remember the first time that we had the question and answer in here with the secular humanists? And remember they kept asking about, what about hypocrites? What about hypocrites? What about hypocrites? What about Christians that don't act like Christians? And then we had the first big forum, which was at Noble Hall. And again that question kept coming up from the crowd. What about the hypocrites? What about the hypocrites? What about the hypocrites? This is the number one question that we get from people that are investigating Christ. What about the hypocrites? I can't trust Christ because of the hypocrites. We get this over, and we get this over, and we get this over again. And sometimes we hear stories from our group that break my heart. I try not to ever share these. I try not to ever talk about them. I try just to pray about them. But I want to tell you guys a few stories that we heard. I'm not going to share names. But I just want to show you guys what happens when we live hypocritical lives. Because I think it is really, really close to God's heart. He doesn't want us representing Him the wrong way to the world. And so anyway, there was a person that came to school here this year. They've been to Thursday night dinner. Most of you might know this person. And somebody was trying to share Christ with this person. And they'd been sharing the gospel. In fact, this person had been friends with this person since before college. So they'd been sharing Christ for multiple years with this person. And this person was illustrating a hunger for God and an interest in Christ. And finally, when they got down to brass tacks and had this conversation, this person said, I've decided I can't trust Christ because of one thing. There's somebody at Connect that's the biggest partier, biggest boozer, <laughs> sleeps around all the time, smoking pot in the dorms, drinking like crazy, and calling himself a Christian to everybody around. And because of that, I refuse to trust Christ. When I hear stories like that, I don't know what it does to you, but does that just destroy you? Does that just shred your heart? I don't want people to see Christians and say, because of that, I don't want to have anything to do with Christ. I want people to be able to look at me and say, I want to be like Christ. I want to know the Savior that you have. I've heard people say I can't come to Connect anymore because people I know at Connect are the biggest partiers, drinkers, out with different guys and girls all the time. And then I see them in Connect raising their hands and praising God and acting like everything's cool. I can't handle that anymore. We've had people from town literally get in touch with us and tell us we're worried about this student or that student because they're drinking far too much and it's not healthy. And we know that you know them, so we're worried. We've had stories like this and stories like this and stories like this. And when I hear that stuff, guys, I don't want this to come across judgmentally. I want you to feel my heart and I hope God's heart of love. This is not what God intended for us. He intended a life that he said would be abundant, 
that would be surpassing and joy and hope and peace and all these fruits of His Spirit. But so many times, it says in Jeremiah, we try to drink things that don't satisfy us. When Jesus Himself said only He can satisfy the deepest needs of our heart. And so we look, we try to fill our insecurities by going to parties and meeting up with friends. Guys, my freshman year, and I'll be honest, I've been a hypocrite. And I've shared this story before at Connect. You guys have probably heard it. I was leading a Bible study, and I was into the Christian thing. But I was a sponsored snowboarder, and I really liked my sponsored snowboarder status. People would get me on campus, oh, you're the sponsored snowboarder, right? And I'd say, yeah. Do you have any stickers? And I always carried, like, 50 stickers around. Remember us, my freshman year? I put stickers everywhere, drive snowboard stickers. That was my identity. That was my pride. That was how I viewed myself. And what happened was I went to the International Snowboarding Convention in Las Vegas. I was hanging out with all the biggest pro riders in the world. Okay, Sean White, who's famous now and everything, he was 11 then, but we hung out for a whole afternoon. But I was hanging out with all these guys, and I was with the drive snowboard team, and they had a filmer filming us, and we were just hanging out in Vegas, and I had my drive hat and my drive shirt and all this. And the team representative was with us, and he kept putting Jim Beam in my Coke. And I didn't want to be the stupid kid that was like, no, I don't want to drink, you know, like, whatever. So I just drank it to be cool. I wanted to fit in. See, it went to my insecurities. I, this was my identity, snowboarder Nate. And I drank, and I drank. And I didn't want to be stupid, but you guys, I don't even know what happened that night. I woke up the next morning in the hotel room with puke on my shirt. And I looked down. You know the first thing I saw was? Oh, what would Jesus do racially? Right then and there, I said, never again am I going to shame Christ like this. Never again am I going to live this double life that shames Christ. It's okay for my insecurity to get a little hurt to say, no, I don't want that in my coat. I hear of men of God like Billy Graham that pray. God, kill me before I would ever do something to shame your name. And that's the heart I want. I don't want to live this life going, what can I get away with and what can I get away with? Or what's too much or what's too far and what, what's okay? And I've had Christians say, is oral sex okay? It's not really sex, right? That's the attitude of how much can I get away with? I want to have the opposite attitude that says, how close to Christ can I be? How in love with my Savior can I be? I want to start by saying, if you are a Christian, please listen tonight. If you're riding the fence, if you are living a double life, I hope that this would encourage you to make a decision tonight for the rest of your life to put Christ number one. And I don't want this to be judgmental. Don't take it that way. Take it as an encouragement from somebody that's been in your shoes. On the flip side of the coin, I want to say if you're a Christian that is living a life that's close to God and honoring God, you still have a lot to get out of this tonight. It's always good to hear God's word and to be encouraged with what it says and I also want to say, if you're not a Christian, if you're searching, if you haven't yet made a decision to trust Christ, you probably hate hypocrites as much as anybody in this room. So what we're doing here is encouraging Christians not to be hypocrites. So don't take anything here the wrong way. I hope that you understand. So I'm not pointing any fingers. After hearing these stories, I decided that this was too important not to address it. Three of those stories happened this week. We talked at staff meeting yesterday, and I just said, I can't wait. We have to talk. And we asked some of the student leaders tonight what they thought, and they all said, let's do this. So with that, I want to get started, guys. 1 Corinthians 5.11 is very, very hardcore. And it puts it like this. It says, you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. So this is talking about Christians or people that call themselves Christians. The very verse before that, he says, I'm not talking about people in the world. Keep associating with them. But then he says, you cannot associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral or greedy, or an idolater, or a slanderer, or a drunkard, or a swindler, with such a man do not even eat. This is a hardcore verse, isn't it? And why do you think Paul was saying that? 
Why do you think he set such a high standard? Because hypocrisy kills. And so he was willing to say, look, if people are living hypocritical lives, he goes, don't even associate with them. Because this is contagious. When one Christian starts saying, it's okay for me to do X, the next Christian goes, hey, it's okay for me to do that too. Because so-and-so is doing it. And then so-and-so is doing that. And then so-and-so is doing it. And it spreads. And so what Paul was saying here is, you cannot let that happen. You guys need to preserve your walk with God in such a way that it doesn't come across wrong. And so it's not too harsh to say that. There's so much at stake, guys. And in Matthew 15, 18, it says, We often honor God with our lips, but our hearts are far from Him. Isn't that true? So Christians a lot of times say all the right things or sing all the right songs, but our hearts sometimes are not even in the right place. 1 John 3, 8-10 puts it this way. And this is a hard verse. I'm going to share a lot of verses tonight, guys, because I want this to be from God, not from Nate. So I don't think any of us will walk away going, Nate had this to say. I want you to walk away going, that was straight from God's word. It's straight from God to me. And I'm not pointing fingers. I can't look inside your life and see any of your secrets. So just take this between you and God. But 1 John 3, 8-10 says, He who does what is sinful is of the devil. Wow, that's hardcore. He who does what is sinful is of the devil. He says, Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning, the reason the Son of God, Jesus, appeared was to destroy the devil's work. So how can I be living my life to do what Jesus came to destroy? Does that make sense? No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. The very DNA of Christ is in you if you're a believer. And that DNA should be growing in me the fruit of the Spirit, not fruit of my flesh and that sinful nature that he came to destroy. And here I want to say something, guys. We've talked about Romans 7 and the good I want to do, I don't do. The bad I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. That was by no means written to give us an excuse to keep on sinning. What Paul was saying there is that's the natural human way. At the end of that chapter, he says, thanks be to Christ, that's where my victory is. So he wasn't giving me a justification to live that way. He was telling me there's hope for victory to get out of that situation. And so again, we're talking here, no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God nor is anyone who does not love his brother. This is so hard, and it hits me really hard. I'm not judging, guys, and I love you far too much to not be honest with you and not be real with you. The Bible says to speak the truth in love. And so I want to come out and I want to share the truth in love, hoping that God will work on each of our hearts. And I'm not pointing the finger. I want this to be the cry of my heart, too. So what is sin? Sin is literally missing the mark, guys. It's not measuring up to who God is, which basically defines all of our life. So when it says that if we're born of God, we don't continue sinning, it doesn't mean you'll never sin again. But what it means is my heart is changed. I don't want to live a life of sin. I want to live a life that glorifies God. And as I walk with Him, He changes me from the inside out. See, God's standard, His law, that Ronnie talked about last week, it's there for my good. God didn't say, don't have sex till marriage, just to make me bored and mad. Okay? I can tell you from a married guy, right, that waited to have sex till marriage, that sex with my wife is amazing. And unfortunately, not many people get this anymore. Because we waste the gift before we're supposed to have it. And this isn't an issue of judgmentalism. See, it's for my good. God set this up so that I could have the best sex life imaginable. We know people, guys, that were students when I was a student that are divorced right now. And you know why they're divorced? The wife refuses to have sex with the husband. You know why? 
Because she can't have sex without thinking through all the images of all the other guys she's been with. Sex for the rest of her life is ruined. And the husband flips out, my wife won't have sex with me, so he starts cheating on her. And then they get a divorce. That's not the future that God has planned for you. He has an awesome, committed, loving marriage with a mutually encouraging and awesome sex life. But see, when we don't do it God's way now, we hurt ourselves later. His law is there for our own good, guys. It's not like God just wants to tick me off. God wants to set things up for my best interest. It's part of the abundant life He promised. When I sin, I lose. When I sin, I lose. Hebrews 11.25 puts it this way. It says, sin is pleasurable for a season. So it's fun for a little while, but then I have to pay. And usually when I have to pay, it hurts a whole lot. We had a great poster that we used to put up on campus. showed a pile of condoms and it said, too bad they don't make one for your heart. And that's true. Because it's fun for a little bit, but afterwards, for an entire lifetime, I paid the cost. And I'm the one that gets robbed. So that's why... God wrote this out for me. It was for my own good. R.C. Sproul put it this way. Sin can be pleasurable, but it never brings happiness. It seems utterly stupid for a person to do something he knows will rob him of his happiness. Yet we do it. The mystery of sin is not only that it is wicked and destructive, but that it is downright stupid. Why do we do this? Why do we keep going back to this stuff that we know won't satisfy? Honestly, I've been to... Some parties, my freshman year I went to quite a few of them because I'd always get asked to go give out stickers. I never walked away from a party satisfied, and I never saw anybody else that walked away from a party satisfied. I saw a lot of people walking away drunk, a lot of people walking away not knowing what happened, but nobody walked away going, man, I feel so joyful and refreshed after that. See, this stuff does not satisfy us. So what is sin, guys? Sin basically is doing whatever violates God's standard. So there's this part to sin which is active, or what I'm doing. 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5, I kind of combine them together. They put it like this. Sin is wickedness, sexual immorality. Sexual immorality covers a whole lot, right? Lust, porn, actual sex, actual flirting with sex, trying to get as far and pushing the envelope as we can without actually doing it. Ephesians 5.3 just nips that in the butt. It says, don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. That's God's standard, and again, it's there for my good. It says impurity is sin. That goes into my thought life, right? Things I think and how I react to the world around me. Impurity has a lot to do with reactivity. Somebody says something to me, I get mad. I see some girl, I lust. That's impurity. It's how I react to my environment. So my life and my actions, motivated by my flesh. Debauchery, which literally means partying. Okay? Scripture says partying is not right. Because, again, it leaves me empty and not satisfied. I don't know about you, but the joy that those parties are intended to give, they don't. But when I meet together with a bunch of you Christians and have prayer from 7 to midnight, I walk away supercharged. See, God gave us fellowship with each other that meets the needs of our heart in such a way that no party ever could. So why do we trade it, guys? Why do we trade it away? Drunkenness, it says, is a sin. And I want to go further in drunkenness because I don't know many people that are like, hey, let's go get drunk, at least not in this room. I used to hear it all the time in the sub cup. But you guys, a lot of times we drink a lot. We don't. <laughs> a lot of times people in this group do. And we can justify that by saying, well, Jesus drank and the disciples drank and all that. And that's true. And there's nothing wrong with a beer, right? I'm not going to tell you that the Bible says you can't have a beer or a glass of wine. But what I am saying, guys, is there's a whole level of making my brother stumble. 
Romans 14, it says, Don't let my freedom cause my brother to stumble. And I've shared this with friends when I was in school about this drinking thing. A friend of mine would always say, Hey, let's meet at the hot tub at Hillcrest, and I'm going to bring a beer for you. And I'd say, Don't worry about it. You can bring one for yourself, but I don't want one. And he'd say, No, no, I'm bringing one. And then he'd get mad at me. Why are you drinking beer with me in the hot tub? And I'd say, Look, dude, I don't want to be a stumbling block to my brother. And he would always say, well, if your brother is judging you, that's a sin. Because Christians like to quote this, right? Don't judge me, judging is a sin. Well, I want to hypothetically throw this question out to you. If my action is causing my brother to judge me, am I not causing my brother to sin? So I need to be careful with my freedoms that they not be a cause for my brother to sin. So I'm not going to put a standard on you that God doesn't put there. But I want to ask you to be motivated from the heart to be careful to live a life that glorifies God. Again, don't ask, what can I get away with? But how much can I live like Christ and love Him first? Idolatry, putting anything above God, stealing, witchcraft, hatred, discord, not living in harmony with my brothers and sisters, jealousy, guys, wanting things that aren't mine, fits of rage and anger, selfish ambition and pride, dissensions and arguing, factions being divisive, splitting up friends, slander and gossip, greed and envy, all those things are described as sin. And here's how it concludes. It says, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then, Paul switches it up. And he says, and that is what some of you were. You used to be like this. Mark was talking about how I used to be like this. And he says, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, he's changed me, guys. He's put His Spirit in me. He's made me a new creation. I don't have to live those old ways that don't satisfy anymore. I can live a new life created in Him to do what He's called me to do. Living in true joy and hope and peace that the world does not have. Either I influence the world or the world influences me. I've got to be careful who I spend time with. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Bad company corrupts good morals. And a lot of times the friends I choose drag me down. So I need to make decisions. What kind of people am I going to choose to hang out with? I hope that after tonight you don't go, ah, oh, those guys that connect, they're judgmental. I hope that doesn't come across a bit because I want this to be in love. I hope instead you'd say, man, guys like Mark, that's who I want to hang out with. Okay, guys like Ben, that's who I want to hang out with. Guys like Ronnie and Riley, I want to hang out with them. I want to hang out with guys that love God and love me and they're going to encourage me to do what's right. And I don't want to hang out with people that are going to pull me down. So I can be influenced or I can influence. And remember, guys, the two kingdoms. There are two kingdoms and there's no dual citizenship. I can't ride the fence. Sin includes beyond just doing what's wrong. It includes not doing what's right. He's called us to so much that's so awesome. Hetty talks about how excited she is and passionate about life because she started sharing her faith a while back. See, some of the things God's called us to are vitally important for our fulfillment in life. And if I disobey God by not stepping into those, I miss the joy that He's created me for. James 4.17 says, He who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it sins. We believe these lies. My sin is just between me and me. But David put it this way in Psalm 51.4, after murdering a guy and committing adultery with his wife, he said, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you're proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. And see, when I'm talking here tonight, this is not between you and me. This is between you and God. When we sin, it's between us and God. Our sin hurts other people, but our sin is between us and God. When I sin, it's against God that I sin. And it's Him that I have to talk to about it. It's Him that I have to go to and make it right. 
Sin is rooted in the condition of my heart. And it's rooted in my heart not measuring up to who God is. See, I want to go back to the heart tonight. We've talked a lot this semester about how to have victory over sin. But we haven't talked a whole lot about the heart that gets me to that place. And I hope tonight that that's what we can hit. Jeremiah 79 says that the heart is deceitful above all things. And in Mark, Jesus talked about how sin comes from the inside first. In Matthew 5, Jesus equates lust with adultery and hate with murder. Do we see where this is coming from? My heart is a big player in the whole issue between me and God. And if my heart is not where it needs to be, I'm in big trouble. Sin is sin. All sin is sin. Does that make sense? It's not like God's going to go, Oh, all you liars and gossipers are cool, but boy, oh boy, I'm going to burn the promiscuous in hell. Okay? Sin is sin to God. And a lot of times Christians are guilty of as much as anybody else on this planet. C.S. Lewis put it this way, The sins of the flesh are bad, but they are the least bad of all sins. All the worst pleasures are purely spiritual. That is why a cold, self-righteous prig who goes regularly to church may be far nearer to hell than a prostitute. But of course, it's better to be neither. Of all bad men, religious bad men are the worst. So what he's getting at here is when I live as a hypocrite, that's not good at all. So what's the result of my sin? I reap what I sow. Everything that I'm doing today is making me who I'm going to be 10 years from now. The decisions that I make today are determining the decisions I will make later. Every bad decision now makes future bad decisions not just probable, but necessary. Does that make sense? If I start smoking crack, i got to fund that habit. How do you fund a habit like that? You start selling crack, you start robbing people, you start robbing banks. Does that make sense? So one bad decision leads me on a cascade of future bad decisions. It's the same way, guys, with right decisions right now. One right decision. You guys being here tonight, that was a right decision. I'm going to go and invest a couple hours in my walk with God. That kind of decision sets you up for future good decisions. It sets you up for success the rest of your life. I don't want to have you come here for false reasons, but this is where I met my wife. There are great things that had a lot to do with this ministry. So current good decisions make future good decisions. Current bad decisions make future bad decisions. Sin is a downward spiral, and it kills me if I don't give it to God. There are natural consequences to my sin. There are things that naturally happen to me. If I steal something, God is going to forgive me, but I might spend some time in jail as a result, right? So my sin, even though God forgives me when I sin as his son or daughter, there are natural consequences to that sin that I have to still pay. And the fruit of sin over a lifetime is not good. I was talking to a guy last week, and it's a guy I love. I just had never seen steps that illustrated a real heart for God. And so finally I said, I feel awkward doing this. So I told this guy, I said, You know, looking 20 years down the road, what I see in your future is divorce and a wife that hates you and kids that don't like you and don't respect you, probably a lot of job failures, probably not much of the joy that God created you to experience. And I said, with that, let's close this meeting. And I didn't want to be mean. I told him, you know, I love you, but if you go down this road, there's nothing good at the end. And that hurts me. And thankfully, the guy had a very repentant heart. And I hope that that would be the same of all of us here today. So sin has consequences, and fruit of my sin over a lifetime kills me. So when the Christian sins, there's a barrier set up between me and God in our fellowship, not in our relationship. You're still His Son. You're still going to heaven. But my fellowship and my interaction with God is hindered until I confess that and give it to Him and it's restored. Sin hardens me. 
in Hebrews 3, 12 through 13, 12 starts out by saying, don't have hearts that would lead you away from God. It goes back to my heart. And the very next verse says that sin is deceitful and it hardens me. So one little sin, that's okay, no big deal. Next day, it's a little bit easier. And the next bigger sin is also easier. See, I get hardened to the point where I can't even recognize myself later on down the road. Because sin has changed me into a different being than God made me to be. Ephesians 4.19 puts the result this way. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. See, the law of diminishing returns requires that as I keep sinning, I keep going further down that road to be satisfied. The same things don't work. I have to go further. And the result is this downward spiral again. Proverbs 26.11 says, As a dog returns to his vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. My dog likes to eat our cat's litter box and the poop in it. And it's pretty disgusting. You know, we'll see Brindy tiptoeing down the hallway. You guys know Brindy. And we'll hear crunch, 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 crunch. And we walk out and she'll have like poop stuck to her lip and stuff like that. Okay, it's pretty disgusting. We've since tried to blockade off the cat box so she can't get there. You guys, that's what it's like when I return to this sin. It left me unsatisfied last time. Why in the world do I go back to it again? Why do I keep going back to what I know is just going to hurt me and leave me unsatisfied? So I want to encourage you, evaluate yourself right now. I can't have it two ways. There's no riding the fence. I can't have one foot with God, one foot in the world. 1 John 2, 15-17 leaves it like this. Do not love the world or anything of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but it is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever, or lives forever. See, I cannot love the world and also love God. There's a line between the two. It's like water and oil, they don't mix. And when I try to make them mix, I'm the one that gets hurt. James 4.4 puts it this way. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. See, when I go, oh, a little parting is okay. A little this is okay. A little that is okay. A little, little, little. God's grace is sufficient. You're His Son. But effectively, all those little decisions are saying, God, I'm your enemy. And I can't just turn around and be like, oh, it's cool. If I went up to one of you guys and said, hey, I want to punch you in the face. I'm your enemy. And then the next day he said, hey, you guys want to hang out? Sam, what would you say? No. <laughs> You're like, no. I can't live this way, guys, where I say, God, I'm your enemy by my actions. God, I'm your friend by where I go and who I hang out with. There has to be this point of reconciliation where I say, I'm going to go one way or the other, guys. And for the rest of my life, my eyes are on Christ. doesn't mean I'm going to be perfect. But it means that I'm going to trust him. And my heart is going to be that he would change me into who he wants me to be. Not to be what I have been. Mark 4 reminds us of the good soil versus all the bad soil. I want to ask you to evaluate yourself. Are you the good soil? Matthew 7 says a good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. I want you to evaluate the fruit in your life. If you're a good tree, you will produce good fruit. If you're not a good tree, you won't produce good fruit. So look at the fruit. What kinds of things come out of your life? What kinds of words come out of your mouth? What kinds of actions come out of you every day? What kinds of things do you do? That has a lot to do with the fruit that comes out of our lives. And it has a lot to do about the tree that we really are. 
James 3.11 says, Can both fresh water and salt water come from the same spring? See, at some point, guys, these two faces, these two sides, can't both happen. It has to be one or the other. And ultimately, I want to ask you, what do you want to hear Jesus say? What do you want to hear Jesus say? Do you want to hear him say, as he mentions in Matthew 7, I never knew you, away from me, you evildoers? Or do you want him to say, like he says in Matthew 25, well done, good and faithful servant? See, that's what's at stake here. Away from me, I never knew you. Or well done, good and faithful servant. And I'm not being judgmental, but I want you to evaluate yourself and determine what is it that you want to hear from Christ. So how do I deal with sin? Hebrews 12, 1-2 says, Lay it aside and get my eyes on Christ. I need to get my heart and my eyes on Christ. I need to get my heart and my eyes away from the world and on Christ. 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, I need to put childish things behind me. There's a whole lot of like freedom in drinking and a whole lot of freedom in partying and you can't tell me what's right for me. That I as a Christian need to say, that's childish stuff and I'm willing to put it behind. In Romans 14, he says, if my drinking wine or my eating meat causes my brother to stumble, he says, I will never do it again. And Paul's not saying, I'm judgmental and you can't have wine. Paul's not saying that. What he's saying is, I love my brother so much that I'm not going to live a life that causes him to fall. I'm not going to live a life that hurts him. Even if I say, you know what, I have to put that behind for the rest of my life. It's not a big sacrifice. There's so much joy that results, guys. Romans 13, 10 through 14. Russ has been going over this with the athletes. Puts it this way. Love does no harm to its brother. If I love my brother, I'm not going to do him harm by what I have freedom in. My sin hurts me, and it hurts those around me, and it hurts God. So if I love them, I'm not going to hurt them that way. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. And do this, understanding the present time. The hour has come for you to wake from your slumber. Because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. What Paul is saying here is, you guys, we've lived in this double-sided game. We've lived this kind of mockery of God where we've tried to pretend like we're Christians and non-Christians. Where we've tried to be satisfied with God and satisfied with the world. Where we've literally been his friend and his enemy. And what Paul is saying here is that's the stuff of the night. The day is coming. And when the day comes, we don't do the things in the night. We put those away. And we walk in the light that God gives us. And in true joy and in true hope and in true peace. He says, let us behave decently as in the daytime. Not in orgies and drunkenness. Not in sexual immorality and debauchery. Again, partying. Not in dissension and jealousy. Rather, clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Guys, when I clothe myself with Christ, I put Him on. I say, today, Christ is in control. He's on the throne. I'm serving Him, not myself. And I don't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Psalm 37, 4, I need to delight myself in God. If my heart is with Christ, this whole talk is not an issue. Because He's going to be changing my desires, that verse says, to be in line with His. He's going to be changing me from the inside out. The deal here isn't just quit sinning, just try harder. I don't want to tell you to try harder. I know for my life, the harder I try, the worse it gets. What we need to do is get our eyes on Christ and say, I'm sold out for you, Jesus. It's all you, and it's only you, and that's it. So remember the sin cycle. We have desire, temptation, sin, and then the Holy Spirit convicts us. We've talked about this. So, desire, temptation, sin, conviction, and then... When I feel the Holy Spirit convicting me, I can do two things. I can run away from God, and if I run away from God, I'm believing a lie, 
and I'm walking in bondage and isolation from God and others, or when I feel that conviction from the Holy Spirit, which I hope a lot of us are feeling tonight, I can run to God and walk in the light, in the freedom and truth of His Word, having fellowship with God and the other Christians around me and the other people around me. So I want to encourage you as you hear this, don't go, I'm going to run away from God, but say, I'm going to run right to God. I'm not going to get further away, I'm going to get closer to Him because that's my only option that will ever satisfy. So I run to God by repenting. You guys, we hate this word, repent, right? How many of you guys hear this word and go, woo, that's an awesome word. This was probably the most spoken word by Jesus. I know it was his most spoken command. We all think of Jesus saying, love each other, love, blah, 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 blah. That's all right and that's all good. But he said repent more than he said love. And the reason he said repent is because he knew my heart. And when we say repent, it doesn't mean be perfect. But it's going at my heart. Here's what it literally means. The word repent in the Greek is metanoio. And it means a change of mind or a change of heart. It's where before I said, God, my way is best, and now I say, God, your way is best. It's where before I said, the party satisfies me, and now I say, only you satisfy me, Jesus. See, it's a change of heart. It's not like, oh, I have to be perfect from this day forward. Thank God none of us could ever do that. But it's a change on the inside that says, from now on, Christ, it's you or nothing. It boils down to lordship. Is he my Lord or not? If he is my Lord and my Savior, I'm going to have a heart to serve him and to live for him and to draw closer to him. So it goes to my heart. Romans 2, 4 says that it's his kindness that draws me to repentance. I don't want anybody in this room to go, oh, I feel, oh, I feel scared of hell, so I'm going to repent. That's the stupidest reason to repent. I want you to go, his kindness to me, even when I've slapped his face a hundred times and every single time he was right there to ask me back. Even though I've shamed him to my friends and still he continues to bless me, put food on my table, clothes on my back. He allows me to go to an awesome school, live in this awesome place. How many of you guys think there's a more beautiful place on the planet? See, when I start to realize it's his kindness to me, even when I don't deserve it, that changes my heart. I go, you know what? This God I serve, he's worth living for, and nothing else is. And that's when we start to see a true change from the inside out. This isn't a game. I can't do this, I have to do that, I have to be at church Sunday morning. This is not what it's about. This is like, who in the world am I alive to draw close to and to serve? It's Jesus, and it's only Him. We need to call a spade a spade. That's what repentance really means. It means saying, my sin is sin, and not justifying it. And saying, God, I want you to have control of my sin. Guys, what am I willing to tolerate? What little sin am I willing to tolerate in my life? Little hate, little greed, little lust, little lack of uh, obedience here or there. I can't just tolerate these things. Right? I need to get my heart right with God. How much can I get away with versus how much do I want to be like Christ? Remember Joseph's example running from temptation, saying, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Guys, and the promise in the Bible is that as we repent, God restores us. The joy that we don't find anywhere else, the hope, the peace, all that stuff that we don't find anywhere else. As I repent, as I change my thoughts to be in line with His, as I call my sin sin and trust Him with it, he restores me from the inside out, and He meets the needs that only He can meet. Accountability is important in this. All of us guys in the Bible study, we have this accountability thing set up. James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other. We can't do this alone. You can't fight this fight alone. You need somebody that's going to be strong, probably stronger than you, hopefully, that you can go to, and you can say, look, I'm really struggling with this. This really kills me. And then that friend can say, hey, let's pray about it together. 
And you need somebody that's going to say, look, when you're struggling, give me a call and we'll pray right then. Don't wait till the next day. Let's talk right then. We need that kind of accountability where we love each other enough to say, I'm here for you no matter what, buddy. I'm here for you. Okay, so let's get that accountability. The core issue is, guys, do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you love Him? John 14, 15 says, if you love Him, you're going to obey Him. I guess, again, judging a tree by its fruit, if we're not obeying Him, do we really love Him? That's a question for you to answer, not me. It goes back to my heart for Jesus. And honestly, we've talked about it a lot this semester, but I can't do this on my own. That's why He's given me His Holy Spirit to empower me to draw nearer to Him. So it's not something that I do on my own. Ah, 1 John 1, 5-7 paints a beautiful picture as we close here. It says, This is the message we have heard from Him and declare to you. God is light. In Him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with Him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from all sin. Walking in the light doesn't mean being perfect, but it means my sin is in the light. I'm honest with people. I'm not living a double life where I'm trying to hide things. It's out there. It's in the light. And now I can trust God. And I have fellowship with Him and other people. Because there's honesty. And that creates a place and an atmosphere where God can change me from the inside out. So what are the results of victory over sin? What happens when I get the heart for God and see Him give me victory over sin? Bill Bright, who started Campus Crusade for Christ, one of the most amazing men that has ever lived, in my opinion, put it this way. He said, there are no happy, disobedient Christians, and there are no unhappy, obedient Christians. Did you get that? There are no happy, disobedient Christians. If you're a Christian that's not obeying Christ, you won't be happy. And he says, there are no unhappy, obedient Christians. If you're a Christian and you're obeying Christ, you will be happy. So there are no happy, disobedient Christians. There are no unhappy, obedient Christians. That is what's at stake here. The abundant life that he promised. True, satisfying, abundant life. My burdens being lifted. Joy that surpasses anything the world can offer. That's what's at stake here. I don't want to trade that for some party. Galatians 5.1 It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again with a yoke of slavery. See, he's given me the freedom already. Now I get to walk in that freedom. I don't need anybody putting shackles on me. I don't need to walk into some place where I'm just going to get chained to the ground and feel miserable for the next two months. God's given me freedom. He's given me joy. He's given me hope. He's given me peace. He's given me love. How many of you guys have found genuine, satisfying, authentic relationships outside of Christ? I've never seen it, guys. See, He's given me that. I don't want to trade that for anything else. Beyond all that stuff, guys, as we trust Him and let Him give us victory, we get to have an eternally significant life. The life I live here makes impacts for all of eternity. And again, I want to contrast that with the stories that I shared in the beginning. How much better is a life that makes positive impact for all of eternity than a life that was the example that other people looked to and said, I don't want to trust Christ. That's what's at stake. When I die, because all of us in here are going to die, right? statistically, 100% of us will. When I die, do I want people going, man, that Nate kid, I would have probably trusted Christ if it hadn't been for him. I hope to God that's never said to me. That's why I hope that there's nothing in me that's hypocritical. I hope people would never use me as an example to not trust Christ. Instead, how would you like this, Vanessa? Somebody says, you know what? I look at that Vanessa girl. She has something I don't see anywhere else. 
that's what I want in my life. A lot of you guys have heard that. Okay, a lot of you guys have heard that. That's what I want to live my life for. So will you press into Jesus? I want to encourage you tonight, and Riley's going to come up and sing some songs for us. I don't want you to leave mad or sad or mad at me. This is all from God's Word, and I'm talking as much to me as to anybody else here. Let's live radically obedient lives to Christ, because that's all that satisfies, guys. It's all that satisfies. So I love you. You guys, every one of you in this room, except for three or four of you, I pray for pretty much every day. Three or four? It's because I just met you tonight. Or I forgot your name. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't say that, you guys. I don't say that to, to build myself up. Susanna, I prayed for you this morning. I don't want you guys to think for a second that I'm judging you. I love you guys. You guys are my family. Aaron and I would do anything for you. We would die for you in a second. Okay? Russ and Linda, the same. And with that being understood, take this from my heart and take this from God's heart as an encouragement to press into Him more than ever before and leave everything else behind. So guys, if you're a Christian, I want to encourage you to live a life of integrity, doing the right thing even when nobody's looking. If you're still searching and haven't made a decision yet, I hope that you would be able to talk to somebody here tonight and learn more about Jesus and this awesome Savior that does forgive our sins, that guarantees us an eternity with Him, and that gives us meaning and abundance in a way that nobody else can. And if you're riding the fence tonight, guys, you have this decision. I think you just felt conviction from the Holy Spirit. Now, you have a decision. I can run away or I can run to God. So I would encourage you, run to God like never before. There are people here tonight that want to be there for you. You know who they are. You probably know somebody that, oh yeah, they're like the leader. Okay? Talk to them tonight. If you don't feel comfortable talking to them tonight, call them. Email them. Go find them in the snack bar or in a class. Or come talk to me or Russ or Linda. You guys, if you want to talk to somebody, get in touch with us. So right now, as we listen to Riley, just play for like five minutes. Just spend some time with you and God. If you want to write stuff down, if you have a, a notepad, do it. If you don't want to write anything, you don't have to. But I want you to walk out of this place with a connection with God. And after Riley's done in about five minutes, we're going to have some snacks in the back. But I love you guys. Thanks for being here.